are familiar with Bill Gates, who is the co-founder of Microsoft, one of the world's first and largest producers of complex computer systems. Bill Gates, thinking about complex systems, said this, and I quote, The human body is the most complex system ever created. The more we learn about it, the more appreciation we have about what a rich system it is. I couldn't agree more. The human body is an incredibly magnificent and complex system. Beyond the uh, five main parts that are visible, head, neck, torso, arms, and legs, Did you know that our bodies have 11 major systems that contain 78 major organs, five of them vital to our existence, 206 bones, 639 muscles, 900 ligaments, and 60 thousand miles worth of blood vessels coursing throughout every body in this room this morning. And that's just the big stuff. That's not even on the cellular level, which are trillions upon trillions of cells in the human body. King David of Israel was also amazed at the complexity of the human body He attributed God with creating the human body, and he said this in Psalm 139, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. He talked about God knitting and weaving the body together inside a mother's womb. How incredible. Well, in our sermon text today, the Apostle Paul also marvels at the human body, and he uses it as an illustration to make a very important point to the church in ancient Corinth. Paul's point was this. So just like God made the human body, one body with many members so that it functions properly, God has made his church one body with many members so that it will function properly. Now Paul is making this point because the church at Corinth was not functioning properly. In fact, in their body, they were not functioning as one. They were divided. They were being torn apart over an issue that should have united them, that should have excited them. Instead, spiritual gifts were dividing them. And so, In this particular portion of his letter, chapters 12 through 14, Paul addresses the topic of spiritual gifts, and he makes five different points 
about those spiritual gifts. We started with point one last week, not those points. Those are for our sermon today. I'll get to that in just a moment. But last week, at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, Paul said spiritual gifts are given to the church by the same spirit that made you part of the church. He wants us to see the divine source of all of the different gifts. Then point number two, you can see that on your note sheet there, comes at the second half of chapter 12. Spiritual gifts are given so that the church will function as one body. That's what we're going to explore today. And then points 3, 4, and 5 are all of chapter 13, and then the two halves of chapter 14. Paul says spiritual gifts are only profitable if they're exercised in love. And so he writes that famous 1 Corinthians 13. And then in chapter 14, spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of building up the church. And because they're given to build up the church, then at the end of 14, he says spiritual gifts must be regulated in the worship gathering. Because their experience, their exercise of spiritual gifts was causing division and chaos instead of unity and building up the church. So last week, the same spirit that led us to Christ and made us part of the church gives his gifts to the church in a variety of forms to each member as a manifestation of himself in and through the church for the common good. This week, Paul is going to circle that phrase for the common good and he's going to explain what he means by that. How are spiritual gifts given for the common good of the church? Within the Corinthian church, the exercise of the spiritual gifts was not for the common good, but it was for the common bad. Division was happening because of two primary reasons. Number one, some people felt superior than others with their gifts. And others felt inferior to others because of their gifts. So what Paul does in our sermon text for this morning with this big overview is Paul gives us an example, an illustration that is going to help us see how unity comes from diversity. How one with many different kinds of parts, is actually how God designed the church. So guess what he uses? None other than the human body. Paul uses the human body to show that just like God made the human body, one body, many parts, God makes his church, one body, many members, many gifts, many roles, so that the church will function as one body in unity. And so this morning, I'm going to give you all four points of my sermon up front. I'm going to leave them there so that if you ever get lost, you can go right back to them. He uses the human body to illustrate and teach four important lessons. Here they are. 
the church, our church, will function in unity as we value diversity. As we eliminate inferiority. As we combat superiority. And as we understand our identity. Friends, my prayer as we study God's word this morning is that our church will function in unity as the body of Christ for the gospel and glory of Christ. Now let's read our sermon text. Do you have your Bibles? Are they open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? You're going to want to see this for yourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 31. 12 through 31. This is God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we dis- we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually 
members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That's God's word. And may God bless it to the nourishment and growth of this body of Christ here in Winchester. Friends, from the very beginning, and I'll say this again at the very end, I want you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in a scripture that speaks about the church as the body of Christ. Here's the good news of the gospel for us. Through faith in the finished work of the bodily death and bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we who were once alienated and separated from God because of our sin, God has graciously made us part of the body of Christ, a new covenant community. As much a part of the new covenant community as your arm is part of your body. This new covenant community gives us a new identity and a new purpose in life. This new covenant community, the church, secures for us a new family that cares for us and for whom we can care. This new covenant community functions for the glory of God, for the good of His people, and for the display of His gospel. Friends, that's good news. Paul wants us to understand four lessons this morning. The church, number one, will function in unity as we value diversity. Verse 12 through 14. Paul shows us there in 12 through 14, his goal is that the Corinthians will value diversity rather than allowing the same diversity to cause divisions in the church because that's what uh, diversity does for sinful human beings, doesn't it? When we get in a room where there are people different than us, then often we pull back. As sinful humans, diversity often results in division rather than unity because we separate into social rankings and we seek status within that group. Don't we see that in just about every group under the sun? As sinful human beings, uh, diversity often results in dysfunction rather than function because 
the various different parts of that group end up operating independently rather than in harmony with the others. So Paul's goal is that they will value the diversity. Why? Because diversity is a reality. Not just here on planet Earth, not just in our body, but in the church. Diversity is a reality. So Paul uses this illustration of the human body all throughout this section to emphasize that the church is one unified body with many diverse members and many diverse gifts. Did you hear the emphasis and the repetition of those two words? One and many. One and many. Verse 12, the body is one organism that functions in unity. But the same verse 12 says the body has many parts that represent a great diversity of functions. Both are important, friends. What we learn from this is that the church is one, but it's not just one member. Look at verse 14. The body does not consist of one member. This church, any church, is no one member. It is one body with many members. The church has many members, but they don't function independently. For it to be a body, they must be functioning in unity, like a symphony. And so Paul gives us the solution here to the problem that comes up with diversity in verse 13 and 14. The solution is to value diversity. Don't put a period there. Don't just value diversity for the sake of diversity. Value diversity because diversity is God's design for his church. That's why we value diversity. Look at verse 13 and 14. For, here's the reason, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Who's in that body? Jews and Greeks. In that day, you couldn't get any more different. Slaves are free. In that day, in that culture, that was a massive social gap. But look at the end of verse 13. All, all Jews and Greeks, all slave and free, were made to drink of one spirit. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. The solution is to value diversity because diversity is God's design. And notice that all three members of the Trinity are involved in this process. It is verse 12, the body of who? The body of Christ, the second member of the Trinity. In verse 13, the Spirit has made us part of the body of Christ. Look there in verse 13, the emphasis is on the Spirit, the Spirit's work. For in one Spirit, notice the emphasis on all, all Christians, four different times. All Christians have been made part of one body by this one spirit. And how were they made part of it? Just read this watery language there in verse 13. We were baptized into one body, and we were all made to drink of one body. Every member 
individually was immersed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then every member has also been made to drink of that same Spirit. We have been saturated by the Spirit at conversion. He baptizes and immerses us into the church and we drink Him in. But I want you to notice something else that the Spirit does here. In the middle of verse 13, don't overlook the fact that it's the Spirit that also washes away every mark of status that might divide the church. Do you see that? Ethnic status, Jews and Greeks. That might divide the church, but not in one spirit it doesn't. Social status, like slaves are free, that might divide the church. It certainly does in society. It usually does in the homes, but not in the church. The Holy Spirit of God washes away everything that might divide. Christ, the Spirit, and then the rest of this chapter, chapter 12, emphasizes God the Father. Look at verse 18. The whole Trinity is involved. Christ, it's His body. The Spirit has made us part of this body. And then look in verse 18. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Look at verse 24. God has so composed the body. Look at verse 28. God has appointed in the church first, second, third, then, then. It's all God's design, friends. That's why we should love diversity. Not just for the sake of diversity, but because Diversity is God's design for His church. And the the church will function in unity. When you look around the room, and rather than being irritated by diversity, or rather than shying away from diversity, you actually begin to value it. Because God does. Number two. Paul's next point. In verse 15 through 20, the church will function in unity as we start to tackle two main problems. First, as we eliminate inferiority, verse 15 through 20, and then second, as we combat superiority, verse 21 through 25. Let's take those one at a time. Lesson number two. Listen, this church is never going to be unified. We will never function as one as long as people feel inferior. We have to eliminate inferiority. And so you see the examples that he gives. Well, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. Now you can understand that. Which would you rather be, a foot or a hand? Come on. Feet are nasty. Hands, man, they're prominent. They do the work. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, which would you rather be, an ear or an eye? Yeah, we can understand this. Paul's goal here is that the Corinthians would eliminate the inferiority that is dividing them. 
Inferiority has no place. It works against unity rather than for it. Friends, no member of this church or any church should feel inferior. Instead, they should see, as in verse 18, that God, God has arranged for each member to be part of that body to fulfill his purposes. And so that one who feels inferior, Paul says there in verse 15, look, no matter how you feel foot, just because you feel like you don't belong to the body, what's the refrain? That would not make you any less part of the body. And just because the ear says, I wish I was an eye, because I'm not an eye, then I don't belong to the body. That does not make you any less part of the body. Our thoughts and our feelings, though negative and destructive, do not change the reality and security above, about being part of the body of Christ. And just let me tell you that that's a great uh, soothing truth for my soul, because I wrestle with inferiority all the time. Now, in this text, we might ask ourselves, where is this inferiority coming from? Where does inferiority come from? Well, I suggest two places. Inferiority might be coming from those elitists that we know are in the church at Corinth, right? We've been seeing them for 12 different chapters now. Spiritual elitists who think that they're spiritually mature and kind of have arrived. They might be causing other people to feel inferior. No one should ever make another person feel small. But friends, that's not the only source of inferiority, is it? In fact, I suggest that it's not even the source of this inferiority. Look at verse 15. Who's the one talking? Because I'm not then I don't even belong. Inferiority is not always somebody else just making me feel bad about myself. Often it comes from inside of ourselves, doesn't it? Inferiority often comes from ourselves. We look at others with envy and jealousy. We see people with gifts that we wish we had. We see people in roles that we wish we could play. And we are envious and jealous. Think about this, friends. When you don't fight against that internal inferiority, you're contributing to division in the church within yourself by creating social structures by your envy and jealousy. Listen, self-deprecation is not humility. It's the flip side of pride because we're still thinking about ourselves. Self-deprecation is me Comparing myself with you and coming up short in my own estimation. Still, self-focus, pride. And so Paul 
He doesn't beat us about the head and shoulders. He encourages us. What does he say to the foot and to the ear? These who feel inferior. He says, your feelings do not make you any less part of the body. Security. Grace. Why? Because God made you part. Look at verse 18. As it is, God arranged the members of the body. God called you to himself. God sacrificed his son for you. God loves you. God made you his own. Stop feeling inferior, my friend. Then in verse 17 through 20, Paul emphasizes again that this diversity, even though you're feeling inferior, this diversity is absolutely essential. Every member is needed for the proper function of the body. Look at verse 17. Look, if the whole body, the whole human body, was an eye, we wouldn't be able to hear. Diversity is essential, friends. It wouldn't be a body. It would be a, a monstrosity. It would be one giant eyeball rolling around. I suppose that would be on Monsters, Inc., right? But every part is, is important, and it, and it provides vital functions to the body. God designed it that way. And so every church, every, every person in the church is important. Every spiritual gift is vital. And friends, we need each other. Lesson number three. While we're fighting to eliminate inferiority inside, then lesson number three, the church will function in unity as we combat superiority. Verse 21 through 26. Paul's goal is to combat the obvious attitude that he has referenced many times throughout his letter to Corinth that is a elitist, superior attitude. It's dividing the church. Some members of the body think my gift is more important than yours. I have the highest gift. You have a lowly gift. Notice uh, even here, as he gives the, the, uh, the illustrations, he talks about the eyes can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Those are careful choices. What's the, what's the difference? Because eyes and head would often be the, the uh, upper class, the, the leadership. Whereas hands and feet would be the working class. And the eyes and the head might begin to think that they're more important. They, they might begin to think that uh, the hands and the feet are unnecessary. In fact, pretty weary having to work with the feet. 
They're dispensable. I wonder if there are anybody, any people in our church who would struggle with this kind of superiority. How might we do that? How might we think that we are superior to others? I think one of the ways that we do that is is actually by thinking that we don't need other people. We're self-sufficient. We act as if we're complete in and of ourselves. We don't need others. However it is, we need to combat it if we're ever going to experience unity. And so Paul explains how to combat superiority. It's by understanding verse 22 through 26, which while it's very uh, interesting and colorful, I really didn't get it on my first one or two passes. Verse 22 through 26, I'm going to read it in just a moment, but let me give you this sentence and before I read it as a summary of, of what Paul's saying here. No member should feel superior. On the contrary, God composed the body with its weaknesses specifically to promote unity and care for one another. God actually designed the human body and the church with its weaknesses to promote unity and so that we would take care of each other. Isn't that interesting? Let's go to the text and see if that bears out to be true. Verse 22 through 26. So rather than saying, I have no need of you, on the contrary, pretty strong words here, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. And on those parts, those weaker parts that we think are less honorable, we actually bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, exactly what you think they are, on our unpresentable parts, what do we do? We treat them with greater modesty, which our presentable parts, like our head or our arms, don't require. Verse 24b. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for, the, for one another. Here's the result. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. No member should feel superior. On the contrary, God actually composed the body and the church with its weaknesses in order to accomplish something, to accomplish two things, so that we would be united and so that we would care about each other. 
rather than thinking that the weaker parts take a whole lot of time and effort and are a whole lot of hassle, Paul says they're indispensable. We would like to dispense with them. Paul says indispensable. Those parts that are less honorable. What do we do with those parts that are unpresentable? We actually take more care of those unpresentable parts than we do other parts of our body. And God has designed it that way. Think about the church and the various, well, we would just have to say those those parts that are weaker or less honorable or unpresentable, those kinds of members that suffer, those kinds of members that are weak and hurting, the body comes to them. And what does that do to the body? It creates unity. It causes us to care for them. So that when one suffers, like some who are suffering in our church right now, we suffer with them. And when one rejoices or is honored, then we rejoice and are honored with them. This is God's design. Martin Luther said it this way. The son does not say that it's black. The tree does not say, I bear no apples, pears, or grapes. That's not humility. If you have gifts, you should say, these gifts are from God. I did not confer them upon myself. One should not be puffed up on their account. If someone else does not have the gifts that I have, then he has others. If I exalt my gifts and despise another's, that's pride. So the son does not vaunt himself. Though he is more fair than the earth and the trees, but the sun says, although tree you do not shine, I will not despise you for you're green and I will help you to be green. I wonder if we have that kind of attitude or if we would rather just away with the weak ones. <laughs> be done with the annoyances. Church, if we will ever function in unity, we need to combat every attitude of superiority in our hearts. We must do it. I wonder just as another follow-up question, I wonder, do you actually suffer with others in our church? Do you actually rejoice with others in our church? Or... Is part of being superior, this attitude of superiority, or do you not really suffer with or rejoice with because you are so busy and self-absorbed that you don't really see the need to give yourself to other people? Can you see how self-absorption and even undue busyness can tear at the unity of a church. 
destroy what God wants to do in us, for us, through us. Number four, finally. The church will function in unity as we value diversity, eliminate inferiority, combat uh, combat superiority, and then verse 27 through 31, understand identity. Verse 27. Paul gets very personal. He's been dealing with illustrations and examples. Human body, eyes, ears, nose, This thing over here, object lessons. Note what he says in verse 27. Now you. Like a good teacher, he is applying his point to the church at Corinth and to us. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church This beautiful diversity, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Is everyone an apostle? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Answer to all of them, the rhetorical question is, no, of course not. Paul says in verse 31, but earnestly desire, don't just desire, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way, the way every spiritual gift must be exercised. Chapter 13 in love. And if it's not in love like you guys are doing it, then it is worthless. The church will function in unity as we I understand that being part of the body of Christ is our identity. Friends, this is who we are. This is what the gospel has called us Not just to be, but has made us by God's grace. I say it again. Here's the gospel in this text. Through faith in the bodily death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, we who were once separated from God because of our sin, God has graciously made us part of the body of Christ, the new covenant community so secure in the body of Christ that it's as if your arm was part of your body. This new covenant community, it gives us a new identity and a new purpose. Do you ever struggle with who am I? Why am I here? Here's the gospel's answer. You're part of the church of Christ and you're here to to display the gospel and glory of Christ. The new covenant community secures us in a family that cares for us and for whom we can care. And this new covenant community functions for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the display of his gospel. You, this is your identity. Do you feel that, church? Let me ask you a question. 
of what church are you a member? Oh, you say, oh, this is talking about the universal church. Are you sure? I can give you about 10 reasons from the scripture that it's talking about you, Corinth. Paul was writing to a local church and he said to them, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The capital C church is expressed as the lowercase c church all across God's world to accomplish God's purposes. And as a member of the capital C church, we are members of the lower C church. And we are one anothering, caring for and being cared for under the authority of local elders, serving local people with whom we share one beautiful life together in worship, community, and mission. From my viewpoint, if you believe you are a member of the body of Christ and you are not a member of a local church, it is as if you are saying, like Rob said earlier, I'm an elbow, I'm just not really connected to any local body. Verse 27, you. Verse 28, God. God has appointed this in the church. He's appointed first, second, third, then, then. What is it with the order there? I don't know. We could spend the next hour trying to figure that out. I can give you some resources to share with you. Paul's point is not the order though he gives it, and I'm sure it has great significance, his point is not the order. His point is that God has put apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping. The diversity is all part of the body. And then here is his other very, very important point. You're all part of the body, but you're not all the same. Everybody's not supposed to have the same gift. None of them. Hmm. You, God, all. And then he ends in verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now you could take that as, as kind of ironic where Paul is saying, yeah, go ahead and desire the higher gifts. Because what is this higher gift? I thought that Paul just said no one's supposed to feel inferior or superior. Well, in this context, when we get to chapter 14, Paul is going to say that there are some gifts that are better than others. Better in what way? Because they better benefit the building up of the body. And so Paul actually argues, for example, the gift of prophecy is better than, greater than the gift of tongues because prophecy builds up the body and tongues did not. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But the point here is the church will function in unity, friend. Beautiful, God-glorifying, God-ordained unity when we understand that this is our identity. Praise God for it. So, 
Winchester Baptist Church. My prayer this morning is that our church will function in unity. How will we do that together? If the elders do this and the deacons do this, that's how we'll do it. If we all value diversity, we all eliminate inferiority and combat superiority and understand our identity. And how are you part of this body? What role are you playing for the common good? There's so many of them. And we praise God for them. Let's pray. God, we thank you very much that by your grace through faith, you have made us part of the body of Christ, which is absolutely our hope in life and death. We thank you so much that we have a new community and a new family and a new identity and a new purpose in life. We're not running around looking to all the things that are just going to end here on earth. We have an eternal identity and an eternal purpose, one that goes way beyond this life in this earth. Praise you. And I pray that more and more would see the beauty of that as we function in unity. And we praise you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God has made us one, friends.